Hey friends, this is Keenan, the Creative Arts Minister at the Christian Church of Carl Junction. And I just want to say thank you for joining us for this podcast. The Christian Church of Carl Junction exists to glorify God by being disciples who make more disciples. We do that by coming to God, thriving in family, and going on mission for His kingdom. We hope that this podcast helps you take next steps in following Jesus with everything that you have. Now, here's today's podcast episode. Good morning, folks. Welcome here to the Christian Church of Carl Junction. So glad you're with me here in the room. You're with us online. We are glad we can worship together this morning. We started a series last Sunday called Disciple. We're taking nine weeks. We're kind of walking loosely through the Gospel of Mark, seeing nine experiences or nine events that help us learn how to be disciples of Jesus better. Remember I said last week the word disciple originally it was translated from the word methetes, which means literally learner. When I say disciple, I mean someone who's learning to be more like Jesus in every way possible. We want to be like that. As we kick off the second week of the series, I'm going to throw you a little loop here. I want to read out of the Gospel of John real quick to you. I'm going to read this, and then we'll get into Mark for the rest of the message. But in John chapter 15... Jesus is speaking to his disciples. They've just had, in this moment, they just had the last supper together, the last time they were going to eat together and be together before Jesus was arrested in the garden. And on the walk from the last supper up into the garden where he was going to be arrested and betrayed, this is what he said. Verse 12. He says, my command is this. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you pretty simple just love each other like i love you do what i have done for you greater love he says has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends you are my friends if you do what i command i no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business instead i have called you friends i've invited you into my inner circle your family now for everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. And in this sense, hear this, this. I want you to hang on to this. This is important for everything we're going to say. He says, I, or he says, I'm sorry, you did not choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you so you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Did you hear that? He says, you did not choose me. I chose you. And then I appointed you. Everything Jesus does in his kingdom, every time he invites you or one of the 12 disciples or anyone between them to you, anytime he invites anyone into his family, he calibrates perfectly invitation and challenge. He says, you didn't choose me first. I chose you. That's great news. I chose you. And I've given you a challenge now, a mission now. He calibrates the two equally. We're going to see that all throughout the message of this morning. Our culture is hungry for family. Our culture longs for family. And our culture tells us this. We know this because our culture tells us what it longs for by the content that it produces. All you have to do, if you want to do a little test on this to see what our culture is longing for, simply turn your television on prime time some evening and see what the television show is about. 
turn it on and see what it is. Go find the ratings uh, for television series and shows, and you'll see this right here. It tells us what it longs for by the content it produces. You turn on a a TV show and you look for what are people watching right now, you're going to find shows like this. Uh, A show called This Is Us. If if you've seen it, it's all about a family created through adoption, a family that follows the extended family's journeys and experiences now. People eat it up. They, They long for it. They get lost in it. If you turn on NBC on a Wednesday night, you can see three straight hours of Chicago programming Chicago Med, Chicago Fire, Chicago PD. All three of these shows, the people have nothing in common besides their job, but they made little families together. They laugh together, they cry together, they fight together, they protect each other, they grieve together, they've created a family, and people eat it up because we're hungry for, we long for family. We live in a broken culture that longs for this. You go back a, a few years the show is still on now, but a few years ago, the, the TV show that set and broke shattered all of the cable television uh, programming uh, ratings ever before, The Walking Dead. You say, oh, it's about zombies, isn't it? Kind of. Kind of. Maybe you've watched it, maybe you've not. doesn't matter. The show's about people. When the world falls apart, what do they do? They band together to be a little family. They protect each other. You don't got to like the show, but you got to acknowledge our culture eats it up. It's family. You go a little farther back, a little farther back, a TV show called Lost. People on an airplane that crashed on an island. Kind of a ridiculous plot line sometimes, but they band together like family. And people ate it up for a decade. Go a little farther back, ER. A bunch of doctors that just lived and family together took care of each other. Go a little farther back, Seinfeld, the show about nothing. New York City, a bunch of people that met each other living in New York and became family that took care of each other. Everybody loves Raymond, all about family. You go a little farther back, Cheers, where everybody knows your name. It's family. A little farther back, MASH, that these, these army doctors that lived together, took care of each other. Our culture is hungry and longing for family in a broken world. It wants it more than anything else, and it doesn't know where to find it. And so our culture produces entertainment, fiction, that is the family that we're longing for. And we as the church actually have that family. We have the family that the world's longing for they're looking for my wife and i we're foster parents and we have been for uh, i don't know about a decade now uh, a long time we've cared for all these kids in our home and our rule is when a child comes into our home we take their picture that first day we put it in a frame we put it on the family picture wall and it stays up there forever so every child that comes to our home they see all these pictures of other kids that have been there before them and they know they're a part of a family now we create family there I had somebody come to my home just the other day. Uh, they were with me. I was stopping by to get something out of the garage. We walked in together, and I went into the garage to grab the thing, and I came back out, and my friend was just standing there looking at the wall in my living room. And if, if you're in the room, you'll be able to see this here uh, up on the screen here. This is the picture of my family picture wall. He's just standing there looking at this. 
I walked back out. I said, you all right? He's like, yeah. So what are you thinking about? Who are these people? I said, well, it's my family. And he said, well, your house isn't that big. There's no way. Because there's like 25 kids on the wall, and then there's adults on the wall, and there's groups. I was like, this is my family. I'm like, well, how? And we have to talk about how family's different for us. My wife and I, we don't think family has to be born into. We can choose our family. We can adopt people into our family. We can welcome them in, invite them in, and include them in our family. And so our family looks a little bit weird. We have a weird-looking family, and we love it. Family is who you choose. When I talk about family here, when I talk about how this church wants to come to Jesus, thrive in family, and go on mission, that's what I'm talking about. Family is who you choose. And the great news is what Jesus said in John chapter 15. He said, remember this, he said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. The Savior of the world, the creator of everything, came from heaven to earth to pay the penalty for your sin and says, I chose you to be my family. I chose you to be my people. That's incredibly good news. Because family is who you choose. If you choose wisely, then you can be in a family where you thrive. And you can move from being somebody who was dying in sin and dying in brokenness to thriving in a family that gains everything from the creator of the universe. That's what we want around here. This morning, for our message, we're going to look at Mark chapter 1, 2, and 3. We're going to skip through a few little passages, and we're going to talk about the family that Jesus began to build as he began to call disciples, and we're going to be encouraged and challenged by that, I believe. I have been, as I've been studying and preparing for this. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into Mark chapter 1 together. Let's pray. God, I thank you for giving us this gospel here this morning. I thank you for delivering to us these words for showing us the legacy of the family that we belong to. We can look back in this Bible, in this scripture, we can look back to the beginning of time in Genesis, and we can see how we were created for community, for relationship. And how you told even Adam and Eve, the very first people, you told them to spread out, to multiply, to enlarge the family, and to fill the whole earth. We can continue that on and see your people grow. We can look at... What Jesus said to the disciples in, in the Gospels when he said to go and make more disciples, go multiply yourselves and fill the earth, and we know that we're a part of a family that's intended to thrive and to cover every square inch of this planet. I thank you for that. I pray this morning you would encourage and challenge and convict us out of these words. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse uh, 16. In Mark 1, verse 16, it says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. Now, we know Simon by another name. Simon is known as Peter also. Jesus actually gave him the name Peter, said, I'm going to call you Peter from now on. Peter means the rock. So this rock, I'll build my church. So Jesus saw Simon, Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. 
And that's the natural thing to do. These guys were fishermen, and so they're out there. They worked all night fishing, and then in the morning times, the evening times, they would repair their nets, prepare their tools, prepare their boats, and go out to fish again the next night. This is their living. They do this day after day after day after day. So you'd expect to find them out along the shore of the lake preparing to work. Jesus is walking along. He saw them there. It's important for us to note that Jesus, when he began to call disciples, began to invite people to be in his family, Jesus didn't send a courier with a note saying, please come to Jesus' office. He has an invitation for you. He didn't send an event on Facebook and say, hey, RSVP, tell us if you're interested or coming or not. Jesus got up. And he walked intentionally to where he would find the people he was going to choose. For Simon and Andrew, they're fishermen. Jesus didn't go to the mall. Jesus didn't go to the, the target. He, he didn't go to the farm. He, he went to where they would be. He intentionally walked to the shore. He walks along and he sees Simon and Andrew. This is what he says. He says, Come follow me. Come follow me. And I will send you out to fish for people. I learned it. I will make you fishers of men. I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. I love that when Jesus shows up on the shore, intentionally walking by Simon and Andrew, he says, come, follow me. Invitation, and I will make you Someone who can fish for people. I will give you a job, a future far better than what you had before. Challenge. Invitation and challenge. And he leverages both. He calibrates both. He invites them and he challenges them. And it says that once they left their nets, they followed him. They left their job, their tools, their livelihood, their family, their friends, everything they knew, their comfort zone. And they followed Jesus with no hesitation. No hesitation. They went and they followed him. And then it says, when Jesus had gone a a little bit farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. They are also fishermen, James and John, right there along the shore also. Jesus walks along and sees them, and without delay, he called them. What, What did he say? I'm guessing from context, it was something like, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for men. I'm guessing it was a similar kind of thing, invitation and challenge. And when he did, they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. They left their literal family in the boat with everything they had ever known. They left their past behind, and they chose a family that was far better than anything they could have experienced. Does that mean we should all abandon our fathers and leave them in boats and go? No. They still interacted with dad. But once they chose to join the family of Jesus, they were no longer fishermen. They were now citizens, members of a family that was going to thrive. And they left everything, their past, their job, their tools, their comfort, and they followed. And now at this point, Jesus has, according to the Gospel of Mark, exactly four disciples. Skip over with you would to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. It says, once again, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. 
Once again he went out and he walked along the side of the lake again. A large crowd came to him because you know when Jesus went and he taught and he spoke and he traveled and walked, people followed him. He had this knack for gaining a crowd, a following, and he went out and walked along, a large crowd began to follow him, and he began to teach them. He began to to leverage the time for the things of the kingdom of God and teach the people. It says, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. So Jesus is walking along the same lake, the same place where he intentionally went and saw Simon and Andrew and James and John. And now once again he walks along the lake here and a crowd of people are following him. And he looks up over here to where the tax collectors would sit and their booths and he sees Levi, Matthew, we know him as. He sees him sitting there and he says, hey, come follow me. Again, he didn't send an invitation via mail. He walked along and he looked at him and he said, I choose you. Follow me. And so Levi got up. He abandoned his job, his income. He followed. He joined the family of God. Now think about tax collectors. They, had, they were men who had agreed to work for the Roman government that was occupying the Jewish territory, they, they had agreed to work for the enemy. And furthermore, they had agreed to work for the enemy and they would often, by reputation, they would cheat their fellow Jews, their neighbors, out of money and stick it in their own pockets. And they would get wealthy off their neighbors. They weren't real popular at the neighborhood block party. People didn't like to hang out with them. They were ostracized, ridiculed. People said hateful things to them when they would pass. And so Jesus walks along here. He looks up and sees Levi. He says, hey, come follow me. And Levi gets up and follows. He joins this band of followers. And then it says, when Jesus, while Jesus was having dinner then at Levi's house, so after he invites Levi to follow him, then he and Levi and the disciples all go to have dinner at his house. And who is there? It's all of Levi's tax collector friends. They have dinner there. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him. Sinners, we know that all people have sinned. You've sinned, I've sinned, Levi's sinned, everybody but Jesus has sinned. But in this case right here, these are people that the culture, the religious leaders, they call them, those are the sinners, they're all hanging out at Levi's house, and Jesus is eating with them and his disciples. When the teachers of the law, who are Pharisees, when they saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples a question. They said, why does he, that's Jesus, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and with sinners? Why? Let me, let me paraphrase this. The question really is, why is Jesus acting like those people are good enough to be around him? Why is Jesus hanging out with people from the other side of the tracks? Why is Jesus hanging out with people that are not good? Why? And it's important for us to realize as we read here that Jesus once again 
Once again, he has intentionally gone to where people are broken. He has walked into the home of people who are broken that he wants to rescue, and he has sat down to eat with them. Jesus is there intentionally to rescue the people, and we have to also realize that the the Pharisees, they're not on the other side of town. Jesus is in here eating with these tax collectors and these sinners. He's hanging out with the broken people intentionally to rescue them out of their brokenness, to invite them to his family. And right here are the Pharisees. You know, they are there too. But they are there to judge them, not to rescue them. They are there to condemn them not to rescue them. We have to be careful as members of Jesus' family that when we go into the homes, the jobs, the offices, the neighborhoods, the schools of broken people, that when we see their brokenness, we remember we are there to offer the hope and the healing of Jesus. We are not there to say, you're a mess. You deserve what you got and walk out. We don't do that. That's what Pharisees do. That's not what the family of Jesus does. Jesus intentionally walks in, sits down to offer hope, an invitation, a challenge. On hearing this, Jesus responds. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. When Jesus came from heaven to earth to go to the cross in your place, He came not to rescue people who had it all together. He came to walk along the shore, to walk along the tax collector booth, to walk along your workplace, to walk along your neighborhood, to walk into your school, and to invite you and all the other broken people to come be healed. He doesn't always heal us physically in the moment we want it to happen. But he always promises to heal the heart. I didn't come to call those who had it all together. I thought they did. I came to heal the ones that are broken. They're longing for family. They're longing to belong to something. That's who I came to rescue. And then, if we turn the page, in Mark 3, we see this family that Jesus calls. And I'm going to warn you, it's it's kind of a weird family. He, He chooses a weird family at first. In Mark chapter 3, verse 13, it says Jesus went up on a mountainside. He went up on a mountainside. He called to him those he wanted. He chose them. Remember? He chose them. And they came to him. He appointed 12 out of all the ones he chose. He appointed 12 to be the forerunners of the movement of his kingdom, to be the ones that are going to lead and pave the way for what everybody was going to get a chance to do. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. He might send them out to preach, to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed them to lead the way for you as he chooses you too. These are the 12 he appointed. There's Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, his brother John, to him he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. It's an awesome name. Grace told me I couldn't name our child that. He named them Andrew, Philip, or he called Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the family that Jesus chose. And it's a weirder family than you might think it is. 
He pulled them all together so they could thrive. They can move from dying to thriving. About 10 years ago, about 10 years ago, my wife, Grace, and I were on a little trip. We were part of a coaching network, and we had gone uh, from our home in Ohio at the time. We had gone to uh, a little beach town to, to have this weekend retreat to be a part of it. And while we were there, our kids had stayed back in our, our town with people who were watching them. And while we were there, we thought, before we go home, we need to take little gifts to our kids, just so they know we missed them and, and all that. We had three kids at the time. We had Andrew and two kiddos we were fostering at the time. And so we went looking around the little trinket shops. If you've ever been in a touristy place, you know what I'm talking about, the little trinket shops. We're looking at all the little things and all the little junk that's overpriced, and we're trying to find the right thing, and there's all the T-shirts, and we chuckled at them a little bit and thought, well, we're not going to let our kid wear that shirt, though. And then we looked at other things over here, and we're picking things out, looking for things. And nothing seemed quite right for our three kids. Then my wife stepped out of the store, and I had an epiphany. It's one of those brilliant ideas husbands only have when they're alone. When I saw this big aquarium full of hermit crabs. Have you ever had a hermit crab? Because I would not recommend it. It's not, it's not worth it. We bought three hermit crabs for our three kids. We bought a little plastic tub, we threw them in there gently, and we put the lid on, we took it home, and we got them home, and the next morning when we got our kids back to our house, we brought them in, and we, we showed them, look what we got you, we had three hermit crabs for three kids, and so Andrew and Michael and Lexi all got to name the hermit crab, and we, we looked at them, they, they had decorated shells on, and they were awesome, and the kids were excited, like, ah, we love them, so we got them out to play with them. Hermit crabs don't like that. We put them on the floor so they could race. I don't think they were really racing. They were running away. And, and we put them down there, and we're playing with these little hermit crabs, and we put them back in the little cage, and a couple days later, we get them back out again, and we do it all again. And at this point, this is, this is cruelty to hermit crabs, just so you know, but we didn't know any better, and confessing and asking forgiveness. We'd put them back in, get them out over and over again, and man, one morning, I was going down the stairs of our house, and Lexi, who's nine years old, if you had a nine-year-old girl in your home before, you know how they can scream. She screams, blood-curdling scream from the dining room, and so I run down the stairs, I'm like, what's going on? Big, huge tears. She is distraught, and it is the end of the world because her hermit crab is dead. And I was like, good. I've been praying, Lord, please take these hermit crabs home. But what happened is they were so distressed in there that Andrew's hermit crab and Michael's hermit crab, the scene of the crime at least, showed that they had ripped apart Lexi's hermit crab, destroyed it. They are apparently territorial. Google told me this later. And they didn't like her. So they, they tore it apart and it destroyed this hermit crab. And we dealt with it, we talked about it, and Eventually, the other two died, and we will never, ever, ever own hermit crabs again. But looking back at it, how often have you been part of a family or a friend group or an office place or school or a neighborhood or church where people just turn on each other and destroy each other? 
you're, you're, in a, you're in an enclosure together. You're in a space together. You're in proximity. But instead of thriving, you're, you're attacking. How often have you been somewhere where people that should take care of each other attack and destroy each other with gossip and bitterness and ridicule and judgment and hatefulness and meanness and pettiness? How often does this happen? And we destroy each other. How many times have you seen a family? And when, uh, maybe you've seen a family when, when, when the patriarch, when the, the grandparent passes away, the, the kids just destroy the family. How many times? We live in a culture that is hungry and longing to belong in a family. But we can't find it. We destroy each other instead. We destroy each other. And so we find our family on a television screen. When the church is the only place. We have the thing that the world is looking for. We have it. We can offer it. How often have you been a part of a group that destroyed each other instead of thriving? Jesus came to die on a cross to rescue you and every other person on the face of the earth that has ever lived and ever will live. And to invite you into a family and to challenge you with the family mission. That's what he did. And he started it with these 12 guys on the screen. Take, it, take a second, consider these 12 guys, because he, he chose a really weird family. Because maybe you, you, you might think, well, yeah, but those are the 12 disciples, and we kind of lift them up. I'm not a disciple, and we lift them up there. But these are the 12 guys. You have Simon and Andrew, brothers, fishermen. You have James and John, brothers, fishermen. Right? And these, these fishermen, they have been slaving away, working night after night, trying to support their family. We know that Peter, at least, was married. He had a mother-in-law. We read in the Gospels. They're trying to support their family, take care of things. They're being taxed mercilessly. They're being robbed by the tax collectors themselves. And when Jesus calls his first little weird family together, they sit down at the table with Levi, who has been robbing them mercilessly. Remember, they were fishermen at the lake, and Levi was the tax collector at the lake. Uh, they had some issues to work through. Uh, you look at the list up here. You have Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas. Man, Thomas? That guy? What's the one thing you know about Thomas? He had some doubts, right? Doubting Thomas. That's all you know about Thomas. That's what we talk about, doubting Thomas. Right, you, you get James, Samothrace, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot. You, you know, Simon, the zealot, you know why he's known as a zealot? It's because Simon was actively working. He was investing all of his time and all of his energy into overthrowing the Roman government that Levi worked for. They were at odds. Right? They had some issues. You got Judas Iscariot, the one that betrayed Jesus with a, with a kiss, the one that held the money bags when we read through the Gospels that he would just kind of help himself whenever he needed a little bit of something out of the money bag from the disciples and from Jesus. And he's in there. But, but even farther, I mean, you got James and John, 
Remember the, the name Sons of Thunder, Boanerges? There's, there's a moment in the Gospels where it says that they're, they're on a hilltop. They're looking down at a town, and James and John look at Jesus. They look at Jesus, the Savior of the world. They look at him and say, hey, yo, Jesus, do you want to just maybe call down some lightning and destroy that town? That's not real loving. James and John are the same two that came with their mommy to talk to Jesus and say, hey, do you think we could be like the best two? Could we be like number one and number two in your kingdom? Could we probably be better than everybody else? And it says the other ten, when they heard that, they were indignant. Why? I think because they, they kind of wanted it for themselves, and they were jealous they got beat to the punch. They were frustrated. You got Peter, Peter who always talks, and Peter we know at the end of Jesus' ministry when, when he says, hey, to the disciples, you're all going to abandon me. You're all going to abandon me when I'm arrested. You're all going to be gone. And Peter's like, I never will. And Jesus is like, yes, you will. And Peter looks at the other disciples and says, well, yeah, they probably will. But I'm better than them. Not me. I never will. A little arrogance there. And this is the family that Jesus chose to start with. He chose a weird family that had nothing in common. They had nothing in common except for every single one of them had heard Jesus' invitation and challenge. That's the only thing they had in common was Jesus. The invitation, come follow me and I will make you into fishers of people. That's what it is. That's a weird family. And that's the same weird family you've inherited. And this weird family is where dying people become thriving people. And thank God he gave you this weird family. That he loved you and the rest of the world so much that he sent his son from heaven to earth to give you, to invite you into this weird looking family where you don't have to be connected by blood and by birth to everybody, but you get to choose the family that already chose you. And when you do, you get to thrive. This morning, I want to offer the same invitation that Jesus did, that we do every Sunday. It's super simple. If you've never followed Jesus, then this morning, you need to hear Jesus saying to you, because he is, come follow me. The way we follow Jesus here at this church is we, we surrender ourselves to him. We're lowered into water. We call it baptism. We're lowered into water, and our past is forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. Everything that was broken in us is forgiven. And then we come out of the water with the Holy Spirit of God in us, healed, a part of a family where we can thrive, where we can live. I want to invite you to that today. And if you've already followed Jesus, or if you're surrendering to him this morning right now, then I want to offer you the same challenge that Jesus offered. I want to calibrate it just like he did. He said it in John 15, super simply. This is my command. Love each other without qualification. He didn't say love each other. If they're nice to you, then love them. He didn't say love other people when they do what you want. He didn't say love other people when they answer your phone calls. He didn't say love other people when they wave at you going on the highway, but if they don't see and don't wave, then, then shun them. He didn't say that. 
He didn't say love other people when it's convenient and easy. He said, this is my command. Love each other. There's a period. I want to invite you to thrive in the weirdest looking family in the universe. And I want to challenge you to go love other people so that they, too, can join the family where they move from dying to thriving. That's the invitation and the challenge. I'm going to pray for us. After I pray, if you need to surrender to Jesus for the first time today, or if you just want somebody to pray with you, then you're going to get up in a moment. We start singing. Walk out the back door and join me at the Next Steps table, and we'll talk, and we'll pray together about your next step. If you're online, you can send a message right now, and somebody's going to communicate with you right now about how you can do the same thing. Because we want you to thrive in family. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you have done everything you can do to help us, to allow us to thrive in a family. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you stopped at nothing. And before I even knew you, you had already chosen me. You had chosen us. Father, I pray. I pray that everyone in this room, everyone online, everyone we know, would choose to stop dying, stop being broken, stop finding what we want on a television screen, and we would start finding it in you, thriving together. I praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Christian Church of Carl Junction podcast. If you're looking to take next steps of following Jesus, please email me at Kenan at cccj.church, and I would love to connect with you in taking your next step in following Jesus.